you refer to the prophecy of the one who will bring balance to the force. You believe it's this boy? He can see things before they happen. He can help you. The force is unusually strong with him. He was meant to help you. Anakin! Tell us to take off! Will I ever see you again? What does your heart tell you? Are you sure about this? Trusting our fate to a boy we hardly know? Anakin Skywalker, meet Obi-Wan Kenobi. I sense much fear in you. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. It's time for Send in the Clones. Join your hosts, Buto and Robbie, on an epic journey through a galaxy far, far away as they follow the escapades of Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi Knights with the clone army of the Republic in their struggle against Count Dooku and the droid army of the evil Separatists. So step in and prepare for adventure because it's time to send in the clones! In this episode, with Bucho and Robbie temporarily out of action, part one of the original unaired pilot episode in which Bucho and Robbie rambled on and 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 on about the Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones! Hey, troops, it's your old buddy Bucho, a Clone Wars rookie. I'm my first ever watch of the Clone Wars, and I'm riding solo in the dropship right now. Just for the short intro, let you know that Robbie and I had some unforeseen turbulence in our recording schedule this week. And we weren't able to get together in time to record the next episode. The good news is we will be ganging up in the next couple of days. And there is a very high chance that we will have episodes 120 and 121 ready to drop for next Sunday and Monday. But in the interest of keeping up some momentum, I present for you today a recording that was originally intended to be our pilot episode or our episode 000 but it ended up being so rambly and so much longer than we were aiming for that we just shelved it and uh, instead went with our 000 hello there introductory episode. And so this was never really going to see the light of day until we hit the snag here with 120 and 121 and also season 7 right on the horizon. And so in the interest of keeping the mission rolling, at least to some extent, until... Me and Robbie can get together again. I figured, why not bring out our original pilot episode and launch it out into the galaxy? Now, as I said, we made it before we had any real format or any real ideas about how we were going to do the show. So it was very long, very rambly, and so I'm going to try and salvage the parts of it which sound almost as if we knew what we were doing. And depending on how long it takes me to do that, to do these edits, I will launch it in maybe two or three parts. I'll basically put out as much as I can get done each day, which probably won't be that much since editing is a lot of work. And as I'm sure you've worked out by now, by listening (laughs) to our shows, it's not something I have much talent for. So this is not ideal, but I think it'll be fun to put out there. And like I said, to keep some momentum going as we look forward to next week when we will have episode 120-612 and 121-613, the final two episodes of the mission of the overall mission and the final two episodes before season seven and in some ways maybe this is a little bit of a blessing because we were gonna have to come up with something for next week some kind of recap or some kind of who knows what and instead we're going to keep the momentum up for the end of this week with these pilot episode releases and we will get 120 and 121 out next week and 
then I guess we will put our recap out. And then Season 7 is right there. It's right there, troops. It's almost upon us, and I'm pretty excited. I mean, spoiler alert, I've already watched 120 and 121, and I enjoyed both of them. And uh, I'm sure you've worked out from the previous episode that Robbie's a fan of them too, so I'm looking forward to talking to him about them. And... I'm also looking extra forward to season seven. But enough of this. Now I'm just making this even longer. This rambly episode that I'm trying to cut down for time. I'm just making it even longer. So here's where I'll sign off for now. And we'll cut in on the original Send in the Clones pilot episode. In fact, I don't think we even had the name Send in the Clones back then. Originally we were called the 2-1-B Power Hour. But was it the Power Hour or the Pleasure Hour? I think it was the 2-1-B Pleasure Hour. That's the name that Robbie came up with as a bit of a joke. And he just tossed it out there. And I loved it so much that for <laughs> that I was pushing for us to be called the 2-1-B Pleasure Hour. But we went with Sending the Clones instead in the end. And I'm sure you'll agree. It fits better. It sounds more Star Wars-y. And, I mean, it's our name. It works well. So anyway, I'll shut up now. Here's part one of Robbie and I back in August 2019 trying to work out how this podcast was going to work. So it was a bit experimental, but, you know, it's podcasting. How hard could it be, right? So here it is. Episode 000-1, part one of our chat about episode one, The Phantom Menace. Should we crack on with talking about these films? Did you end up... Getting a chance to watch rewatch them? Uh, no, but I did watch them within the last month and a half. Well, that's all good then. So it's still pretty fresh for me. I've got a whole bunch of notes here. I don't want to go over all of them because it'll take us all morning. <laughs> and the other thing is I have to bail about 9.30, which is in an hour 40. Okay. So that should be long enough. Oh, yeah. We've got to aim to at least get it, get it in before that anyway for various reasons. But, um, but I'll tell you right off the bat, I enjoyed both of them when I watched them this week more than I've ever enjoyed watching them. Hmm. And one of the, you and another mate of mine from the chat forums, my buddy Nuge, from, from listening to you for so long and talking to you and from from Nuge, really have changed the way that I look at them. And from listening to other podcasts, I've mentioned Brian Young from Full of Sith before, he's a big champion of them. Other various podcasts from, younger, from the younger generation that saw them as kids, really... I wouldn't say forced me to look at it in a different way, but helped, I guess helped me, right? <laughs> helped me look at it in a different way and accept, I mean, hearing people, like Brian Young talks about that, he loves Jar Jar, right? And he wasn't super young when they came out. He said he was working at a movie theater. This is not supposed to be the podcast about Brian Young, <laughs> but um, it gets to be infectious. The love that these other younger cats have for it gets to be infectious and, and the Ahmed Best videos that came out, learning more about what he went through and sort of getting to know him again through his videos helped me watch Jar Jar in a slightly different way. Knowing what Jake Lloyd has been through as well, maybe. You know, he had a real tough time. Although, maybe we start with this. I used to be a prequel hater, let's say that. I used to be super critical of them. But one of the things I don't think I... I was never one of those that said Jake Lloyd was one of the main problems with them. And watching them again here, there's a lot of scenes where I think he nails what he has to nail. Not all of them. There's some where it doesn't work and you realize you feel like you're watching Jake Lloyd on a movie set being shot. But some of them, I've got no problem with a lot of what he does in that movie. And I think he's gotten way too much hate. And there are scenes where the emotion of the 
I never used to get any of the emotion from these films, you know. I'd watch them and I'd think there are things that look cool because they look Star Wars-y and they do feel quite Star Wars-y, a lot of it. But I never got a lot of the emotion from it. And in this one, like when he says goodbye to his mom, his mom, and even in smaller scenes when he talks about being a slave, he got me and that's never happened before. So once you start with your relationship with Jake Lloyd's Anakin Skywalker. Well, I still think there are some problems, right? I mean, there's, you know, if you want to start with, like you said, that hatred that came out, the, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like that not my Star Wars kind of attitude that people had. And it's like, you know, Star Wars doesn't have to fit in a box. For episode one, I will say, I remember walking out of the theater the first time, saw it with Brian, the morning of, we didn't do the midnight show, but we did the morning of, we had tickets to consecutive showings. And I remember seeing the first one and being very confused. And then the second time went in and just kind of let it soak in. And I was kind of like, I don't know if this is necessarily for me. Like, it doesn't feel like it's for me. And of course, many people, including George Lucas, said, you know, these movies are for kids. You know, this this is not for, it's not meant to hit notes when you're 25 years old. It's meant to hit notes when you're young. And it. Jake Lloyd was never the main problem for me. Right. You know, the main problem for me was it felt like the overall movie felt almost like it was trying to do two things. Like the Anakin story felt very almost Disney-esque, you know, kind of the coming of age, the child, you know, rising up and becoming a hero. And then you've got all of the, the actual Phantom Menace part seemed very adult. Talking about trade routes and... Yep. You know what I'm saying? Yep. It's It's very... The movie's very uneven if you're approaching it like a child. At least that's the way that I look at it. I can't see me as eight years old listening to them talk about the trade disputes and Padme and or Amidala at this point, right? Right. And uh, Palpatine discussing the problems. You know, it was just like, this is so... It's such an uneven kind of movie. But it's important for the arc of that prequel trilogy, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. All of that stuff is important. But there's just enough to hopefully keep those kids interested. Jake Lloyd was never, I mean, of course, the yippee and the, you know, are you an angel, that kind of stuff. It's like you said, it's the stuff that doesn't work. I mean, think about human nature. We remember the bad things, not so much the good things. You know what I mean? The, sometimes you can have a pretty okay day, but it's the one thing bad that happens. That's what you're going to remember. And I kind of feel like episode one, in, in a lot of respects, it hits those notes where people go, oh, that seems off, or that's not right, that's not my Star Wars, or whatever, enough times to where I think people can't forgive all the good that's in that movie. To me, it's the same with Episode 2. You know, I know we haven't got there yet, but to me, it's the same with Episode 2. With all of the amazing awesomeness, holy crap, I, I can't believe that we're doing this. I can't believe we're seeing this, finally, after thinking about it for, you know, since I was seven years old. And then then there's talk about softer than sand and all that stuff. I mean, it's just very uneven. You just reminded me, I had an intro. I was going to do an intro. <laughs> I was going to say, hey, gang, it's your old buddy, Bucho. Welcome you back to the show that's exactly like sand. We're rough, we're coarse, <laughs> we're irritating, and we get everywhere. And then I was going to ask you to rate that <laughs> intro on a scale of, on the Rob's four-star scale. I completely forgot. Because uh, if you gave that more than a three, I might even lose respect for you. Because that's a terrible intro, but, you know, that's the idea. Um, 
You know, it's funny you say talk. You bring up the yippee and you bring up the are you an angel? But because the yippee that doesn't land at all. But when he asked if she's an angel, that got me. I know that's one of the lines that people take the out of. I really was super sympathetic towards his performance this time I watched it. Like I say, this is the first time. I don't know if I did say this, but maybe the first time in 15 years I've watched these films. There was a lot of things I'd forgotten, uh, especially in the second one, which I probably watched the least. And I always had thought of The Phantom Menace as my favorite of these three. I know that a lot of people prefer the third one. Prefer Revenge of the Sith, but what is that? That might be Sebulba's language. But yeah, the, the second line of the crawl starts talking about taxation and trade routes. And that's not stuff for a kid, right? That's not stuff for an eight-year-old kid or an 11-year-old kid. Even if you, right. I mean, it's not even stuff for an 18-year-old kid. 18-year-old kids don't care about taxation and trade routes. So there's an odd tonal balance that Lucas tries to achieve where he's talking about super dry politics at the same time as having a character like Jar Jar who's complete slapstick really designed for six-year-olds maybe i like <laughs> i like jar jar more i like who he is as a character i like his function and the plot more or less jar jar was still the is still the thing that is the most challenging for me about it and one of the reasons it's not necessarily best performance but there are little moments where the movie almost waits for jar jar to do something some little extra comical moment and none of the other characters even react to him and it makes him feel disconnected from the story a lot of the times. I don't know how you felt about Jar Jar the last time you watched it. I'm sure that, I mean, you were up with the play with Ahmed Best. How, uh, how did he work for you the last time you watched it? Yeah, he plays totally different now than he used to. Even though he kind of feels, especially that tonal problem that those movies seem to have. Especially episode one, and then episode two has a totally different tonal problem. It's like goofy love story like seriously almost too goofy right but for jar jar you can imagine that a situation like that where you know as a jedi you might have to run across a species like that that's just not serious at all and you know they're just kind of i guess it's for me it's ahmed best i learned about that after i already turned around on jar jar right so that makes him even more now i kind of see ahmed best as sort of like the crying clown type you know what I mean? The sad clown. Right. But I also see him as a positive force in that story. It almost is a pull to the Jedi that are around him to, hey, you know, maybe lighten up a little bit. But as I said, I'd already switched on Jar Jar because the Clone Wars made me understand Jar Jar a little bit more. And it made me appreciate him as a character more. And he works to me now. There's still some scenes where, like you said, where it's almost like nobody's actually reacting to him, which could be completely true, you know, because Lucas is famous for doing that. He's famous for filming a thing a certain way, especially in in the prequels, where he'll film in a certain way and then he'll go, well, I don't like that line now. So then he'll digitally change it. And most of them, you don't realize he changed it. But, well, to me, the one that sticks out the most to me is in Revenge of the Sith, when uh, Anakin and Padme are talking on uh, Mustafar. He says something and his mouth doesn't match. And there's there's actually another one in episode three somewhere. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I'm way off track. Jar Jar is awesome. It took me a long time to come around, though. It wasn't something where, you know, I think it was the Clone Wars that did it. It Clone Wars was, it sort of, it almost loosens you up. Right. And it makes you realize that this is, 
not meant to be taken super seriously. And not everything has to be this super awesome, you know, people getting beheaded and stuff like that. It's more about the characters and how they interact and it's, I don't know. I love Jar Jar now. Jar Jar is like my least, the least of the worries in that whole thing. Yeah, the other, I always liked Neeson's performance in this and obviously everyone loves Mc, Ian McDiarmid. Those performances always have worked basically from go to woe. And it's not necessarily that they have any bit of dialogue, but those two actors are so experienced, they find ways to make it all work for me. I'm assuming you feel the same. Well, yeah. I mean, I think the only one that's a little uneven, especially in episode one, is Natalie Portman. She seems like it's just not quite working, but I think it works better, even though I don't like the story as much. I think she was working better in episode two. And in fact, I think of the three movies, that's probably her strongest. But I mean, I don't know. It's, uh, God, Ian Mc- I mean, how can you... The man's a treasure. How can you say anything bad about Ian? The guy is just, he he's one of those, he's, you can tell, especially when he's being interviewed, that he's delighted by the fact that he's still getting attention. But it's an effortless, rock-solid performance. It's just, this guy knows what he's there to do, and he does it. 100%. Yeah, I've read one of my notes. I wasn't actually going to bring up Portman uh, in the first movie because I was going to bring her up in the second movie because she's so much better in Attack of the Clones than The Phantom Menace. It's striking. It's striking how much better she is in the next movie. Maybe it's maybe the three years of her becoming a more experienced actor made the difference. Maybe there's more attention paid to her character. I don't know what it is, but she is... Um, just not good in The Phantom Menace. And in The Tag of the Clones, I bought a lot of her stuff, including a lot of the, um, a lot of that love story that a lot of people have, have a problem with. And we're not getting up to Attack of the Clones yet, but um, I'll let you know right now, a lot more of that love story worked for me this time hmm. than it ever has before. And Attack of the Clones was always the least, I think a lot of people agree it's the least of the, of the nine so far, or the eight at least. And that was the least of the six before we got these new ones. And I, I haven't watched Sith again. I haven't watched Episode 3 again, so I don't know. But it may be still the worst, but it's it's jumped up for me just from watching it. Like I said, I've watched uh, both of these movies in the last week and enjoyed both of them more than I ever have, more than any other time I've ever watched them. One thing about uh, The Phantom Menace, I said it, I've got way too many notes here, but it really breaks down into separate acts based on location. There's the first act, which is that is all on Naboo, is it? Mm-hmm. So we don't even meet Anakin until Tatooine. We don't meet Anakin Skywalker until 32 minutes in. At the start, it's all about there's a bit of Jedi, there's a bit, and there's a lot of Obi Wan and. Uh, oh, we haven't talked about you and yet. What does it say about you and Robbie? Oh God! How much do you love him? I've always loved Ewan McGregor. I've loved Ewan McGregor before he was in Star Wars. So train spotting, right? Dude, train spotting made me go, okay, this dude, he's like, he's up there. He's one of my favorites. And when I heard he was going to be Obi Wan. I lost my mind, and I'm like, you know, what's this going to be like? But, uh, I mean, you could probably say that he's The Rock, more than Ian McDiarmid, even. I think he's the most solid actor in all three, you know, continually through. But he's still got some issues, and I think that's a direction problem. This scene is directed poorly. Now, I don't know if that's because it was like a second unit thing. Um, it was a pickup shot and not everybody was on that day. Because there's there's some very visible pickup shots in Phantom Menace. I don't know. Again, I've, I've watched all of these movies way too many times. And the behind the scenes stuff, right? 
Oh yeah, all the all yeah. Oh, of course, yeah. All that stuff. I've seen I've seen it all. But there's some very very obvious pickup shots that don't work. I see what they're there for, but they don't work. And like one of Jake Lloyd is so once I point it out, it's super distracting because he looks like he's grown four inches and his hair's too long. <laughs> and uh, it just, it looks weird. And then one of Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, it's a little pickup shot. His hair's a different color. You can tell it's a wig, you know what I mean? It's just It just sticks out. Right. But um, anyway, Ewan is so good in those movies. It's really episode two where he starts to really take off with it and really start, you can tell he's enjoying himself. And seeing all of his interviews in recent years talking about how he would love to do it again. And this week we got the news, right? Yeah, and he's it's so awesome to hear that, that he's going to be able to do it again. And to hopefully bring even more Alec Guinness into it than he did in the first three. So, sure. Oof, it's so exciting. It is a good time, man. It's a good time to be a Star Wars fan. Yeah. Yeah, so on, on uh, Tatooine, we also meet Shmi. There's a... Qui-Gon and Shmi uh, are talking on the roof, and... When Shmi says there was no father, and that had, I mean, that whole immaculate conception deal, <laughs> that was a thing I used to have a problem with, and that was a bit that got me. Another bit that got me that never used to get me, and I, I mean, maybe now's a good time to talk about John Williams, the magic that he can weave through these things and hit these emotional points that uh, I think we talked about it when we were talking about, who was it? Zimmer? That is almost like cheating to have Hans Zimmer yep. score your movie because he does so much of the lifting. And John Williams is maybe the first. I mean, it was even it was it Lucas who said someone said that his music is oxygen. Williams' music is the oxygen of Star Wars. That's what really lights the fire. It's right. It's the fuel. So this is really wishy-washy. <laughs> what am I trying to ask you here? The score of the Phantom Menace is it one of the scores that you've listened to in isolation? In the same way that I mean, you would put on a soundtrack of a film. How many times have you put on the Phantom Menace? soundtrack compared to the other films i had the phantom menace cd like the week and a half two weeks before the movie came out and i remember one of the songs is qui-gon's noble end or something like that and it's like (laughs) you sons of (laughs) you know i mean spoiler alert yeah it's one of those things where anything that's spoiled sometimes it doesn't matter what they're pinpointing a lot of times it's people trying to ruin something for somebody but in that case just carelessness they just weren't thinking you know yeah they just weren't thinking but it didn't ruin it for me because it was still it's like as soon as i saw that you know that that's the name of that song and you watch the trailer and you see obi-wan go no you know you know okay well that's probably when qui-gon's gonna die yeah you know it was like you you already know what it is but anyway i've listened to that soundtrack a lot it's wonderful. I love that soundtrack. It's so tough to rate those. It's kind of like rating the movies. It's so hard to rate them, but I've listened to that almost as much as I've listened to... I can't say I've listened to it as much as the originals, but even the originals have all those... Especially if you get those... Uh, what is it? It's like a special edition thing where it's got... It's like every cue. It's not just the main songs. It's like every cue. There's so many very light and almost... Right. You know, it's like it's there's nothing recognizable in it. So it's just kind of background. Sure. You know, it becomes background. The Phantom Menace soundtrack, there's so much, so many themes being introduced. I love, I love the Trade Federation March. It's one of my favorites because I think for me, it reminded me a lot of, um, I guess, the Nazi March in 
Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Like, if you play them one right after the other, they've got a similar feel. Right. Because there's the, what is it? Dun, da, 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 dun. Right, that's sure. That's that. And then there's the last crusade is right, and it's like very, very similar feel to both of them. I've always loved both of those, but that it's a shot in Phantom Menace when the Trade Federation ship kind of coming overhead and then it lands beneath the trees, and then there's the kind of a close up shot, and then a a couple of steps go by the camera, and then it's a as the camera tracks them, it slows down on the other Trade Federation ship with the tanks coming out. That whole sequence, the music right there, is some of my favorite in Star Wars. Ever since that moment, I was like, I love that. I love it. I want to hear it. I want to hear it again. I want to keep listening to it. I love it. But The Phantom Menace has such great, great music. I remember thinking when I first heard it, because of course I listened to the soundtrack before the movie came out, but I couldn't wait. I remember thinking that Duel of the Fates, right? I didn't like it at first. Because of the choir? Yeah. And then, of course, seeing the movie, and I'm like, okay, this is, yeah, this is rocking. This is awesome. But yeah, anyway, to answer your question, yes, I love the... Seriously, my brain jumps around to different moments that either sparked, like, a love for that moment or different shots that I love. There's so many in every Star Wars movie, like I said, there's, there's those specific shots that just stick in my brain. And that I love. Like, I think one of my favorite shots in the movie is during the duel at the end, Maul kind of flips around and then he points at that thing and throws it at the wall. Right. You know, open the door and opens the door. Watch Obi-Wan come into frame on the left and he's just kind of swinging his lightsabers like he's like, he's like, all right, here we go. Here we go. (laughs) And there's something about it that's so workmanlike, you know, and I'm sure it was Ewan McGregor doing that was probably not so intentional but if you think of it in context of the story it's like that okay i gotta okay you know he's like he's like all right let's go you know i mean just i, I love it i just there's something almost like a, like a fighter you know of a, a real fighter in the ufc or whatever would would do just like all right whew, okay let's go sure you know it's just it's something i love it i just love that kind of stuff and if you can think of it in context of this is real that i'm watching and not actors doing their thing it actually works and i really just love that it's one of the one of those shots that just i love it's one of my favorites in the movie i'll have to keep an eye out for it when i rewatch it again it's simple you know sure. it's just a simple shot but i love it and there you go troops that's part one of our original unaired pilot episode of sending the clones so I'll see if I can get a whole bunch more of it cut for tomorrow and probably the next day too. And I'm flying a bit by the seat of my pants here. Improvising, right? That's what Anakin would do. That's what Ahsoka would do. That's what I'm trying to do here. So thanks for listening. Thanks for riding with us. We'll catch you again on the next one. And so until then, this is your old buddy Bucho. I'm not alongside your trusty pal Robbie, but on behalf of your trusty pal Robbie, we are out. Remember, you can support Sending the Clothes for free simply by rating and reviewing the show on iTunes or any other podcast platform, and Pucho and Robbie will read the review on a future feedback episode. And speaking of feedback episodes, you can also send either a text or an audio message of 60 seconds or less to Pucho and Robbie at gmail.com. May the force be with you.